The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Wilson looking for a miracle. Going to gather. Unleashes. Towards the end zone. It Uh-oh. is the So one of my favorite callers and listeners, Pauly, is in the 757 Pauly, called me this morning on the radio show and reminded me that Sean Payton coach teams now have two completed Hail Marys against Washington's teams coached by Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio. Back in 2021, the Saints were playing here in early October, and Jameis Winston at the end of the half threw a Hail Mary that was caught by Callaway in the end zone. And then you got the play yesterday. I mean, what are the odds? Uh, Who cares, really? Washington won the game despite that oh-my-God moment uh, because the two-point conversion failed. Why did it fail? Ah, it could have been because of a missed defensive pass interference call against Benjamin St. Juice. Oh yeah, that was pass interference. Uh, but you know what? Sometimes referees miss calls or referees swallow whistles or keep their flags in their pockets. Remember last year, Sunday night football, Curtis Samuel being absolutely mauled in the end zone on their fourth down and final chance against the Giants in a game that meant a whole lot at the end of the season. Uh, that wasn't called, um, and yesterday they got a return favor. 35-33 Washington, 2-0 and for the first time since 2011. Man, that game had so much to it. My game take is going to take a little while today. Uh, Fred Smoot is scheduled to join us as well, so I'm hoping that Fred uh, we'll have some time to break away from his responsibilities out at Redskin Park, out at, excuse me, uh, Commander's Park, to join the show. A show whose presenting sponsor is Window Nation. If you're thinking about windows, don't think anymore. Just call Window Nation at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. There's nothing to lose. You get a free estimate if you use my name. They'll take good care of you. Window Nation for the best product and the best deals. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. I mean, what 
a football game yesterday. What a day in the NFL. Ten games so far in week two, with two more to go tonight, have been decided by one score or less. But Washington down 21-3, to and it happened quickly, man. They were down 21-3 to in 20 minutes of game clock time. And really, at that point, with Denver in Washington territory after that big punt return, it looked like this thing was going to be a complete ass-kicking of the highest order. And then a play that completely changed the game. This one. Wilson, this is where he's been so deadly in his career, but what pursuit. Jamin Davis. Football came loose. What's the call here? Nothing official yet. Officials are talking about it. The ruling on the field is a fumble Mm. recovered by the defense. First down. You know, it's not that often in sports where you can point to one play in any game and say that play, that play decided the game, unless it's like the final play of the game. And that Jamin Davis forced fumble happened with six and a half minutes to go in the second quarter. But that was the play that changed yesterday's game. That was the one play that truly flipped yesterday's game. Usually, we're talking about four to five plays that really determine the winner, not yesterday. Jamin Davis sacking Russell Wilson, running down Russell Wilson, forcing the fumble that Cody Barton recovered. That was the play of the game, and there was no close second. The Broncos had scored touchdowns on their first three drives. They had held Washington to two straight three-and-out punts. They led 21-3. to They had just returned a punt 45 yards into Washington territory and were on the verge, likely, of extending that lead to 24-3 or 28-3. Worst case for them, a punt backing Washington into poor field position down 21-3 was the best case for Washington in that situation. There was zero, zero indication before that forced fumble that Washington could either stop Denver or score enough on offense to make it an actual game. You know, it was nearing that point that some games get to where you just know it's not your day. And that's when Chase Young forced Russell Wilson out of the pocket, and as Wilson started to head for that sideline, here came a blur. Jamin Davis. Oh, my God. Does he run from sideline to sideline quickly? He makes the tackle. The ball's out. Barton recovers. No, I don't think that that was a face mask. He let go of it immediately, and they've been letting those go, the incidentals go, as long as you don't grab and hold or grab and tug. They've been letting those go now for a few years. I actually, watching it on television in live time, did not think that it was a fumble when I first watched it, but the replay clearly showed that that ball was out and that there was a clear recovery. What a play made by Jamin Davis. What a turnaround it sparked after that turnover. Denver's next five offensive drives, all right, Washington gave up 52 yards. That's it. 
forced three punts, had an interception, and then they gave up three on a field goal drive that started at midfield and I think was played against mostly the second-team defensive front. After that forced fumble, it was total dominance for the next 25 minutes of game time. It went from 21-3 to 35-24. It was a 32-3 run. Unbelievable run over about nearly two quarters of football, as dominating a stretch as we've seen from this team in a long time. The defense took over again like it did last week, and the offense became unstoppable. The 18-point comeback was the second biggest on the road for this franchise since, since the Jeff Rutledge game. Remember that one back in 1990? Some of you do. They were down 21 against the Lions in Detroit. Stan Humphreys goes out. Jeff Rutledge comes in. He throws for over 300 yards in a half and in overtime, and they beat the Lions 41-38. to uh, What a stretch of football. Of course, the final you know five or six minutes uh, was a major sweat for sure. You know, they got down there and they kicked a field goal and then they got the ball back and we got the Hail Mary uh, from uh, Russell Wilson deep. And that look, I'll, I'll get into that play um, uh, in my game take. Uh, but that uh, Hail Mary conversion from 50 yards out to Brandon Johnson gave Denver a chance there. At the end. By the way, I mentioned this earlier today on the radio show. That's the second time Denver's completed a Hail Mary against Washington in Denver. 1995 in Denver, October 3131. John Elway rears back and throws the ball to, to, to Rod Smith in the end zone to beat the Skins 38 31. Final play of the game. Uh, this time, though, uh, Denver had to convert a two-point conversion to tie it and force overtime. And they didn't uh, because the referees swallowed the whistle. Uh, and that's a good thing uh, for them. You know, um, people often say about those kinds of plays where there aren't you know, calls made when perhaps there should have been calls made, that those are game-deciding plays. Not really. You know, Curtis Samuel got mugged in the end zone in that game against the Giants last year on Sunday Night Football, but Washington was down eight. They still needed to score a touchdown, even if they had a new set of downs, and they would have still needed to convert a two-point conversion, and then they would have still had to win in overtime. Yesterday, yes, Denver should have had another conversion attempt from the one-yard line, and maybe they would have converted. Maybe they wouldn't have. Washington's defense was pretty damn good. It's possible that they wouldn't have converted. And then even if they did, they would have still had to come up big in overtime. Uh, but look, this was this was an an early an early statement game from this team. And to me, the statement is that they've got really good players, and you should pay attention to this team because they've got really good players and really good playmakers on both sides of the ball. You know, this is something that we've been talking about for a while now, but this roster is pretty good. 
In years past, a lot of you would exaggerate what they had on the roster. You know, they'd be t- you'd spend a lot of time talking about, oh, the cuts are going to be tough this year. You know, they're going to let players loose and they're going to get picked up by all these other teams. No, they have spent two to three years of doing a pretty good job building up a talented roster. Of course, what's been missing more than anything else was someone good enough at the most important position on the field. Now, maybe they have that person. Look, I'm not going to overreact on Sam Howell's two football games here. Okay, it's still two games. And last week wasn't that great. But yesterday, Sam Howell played well. He made some big-time plays. He was significantly influential on the final score of that game. He played at a level that they just haven't had much of at quarterback in the last few years. I will nitpick some things that he did, but his performance was much better than it was last week. Last week I had him graded as a C. The grade will be much better this week when I get to my game take. You know, overall, there's just um, a feeling, a vibe about this team and about this organization that we just haven't had in a long time. You know, yesterday would have been typically a game that would have continued to go south. They would have lost the game, and I would have been in here talking about what I talked about a lot on Mondays, another chalk it up to organizational loss because most of their losses were organizational losses. But the stench is gone. There's a new vibe. Uh, It's really been two months of this. Last week was incredible. I can't wait to see what Sunday at FedEx is going to be like. Um, I'll tell this quick story. In watching the game yesterday, I actually had two of my three sons at home. And at the end of the half, after they had made it 21-11, to Denver had the ball. And on a third down and nine, there was a throw to Judy that came up short. And according to one of my sons, I got up, pumped my fist in the air, and he said, oh, yeah, you're back. (laughs) Busted. Um, There's no doubt that the last few years, there have been some games. Last year, you know, the playoff game against Tampa, um, there have been some times where my lack of passion for the team, which, you know, has been at an all-time low you know, there were flashbacks, um, but I thought it was funny. And I just said, yeah, I want them to win this game. And they were just down 21-3, and now they got a chance to get the ball back and get it to 21-14. But anyway, um, look, I don't know where this 2-0 and start goes from here, but they are a capable team. You know, capable of what? Capable of being in the mix in the NFC. You know, I don't think they're Philadelphia. I don't think they're Dallas. I don't think they're San Francisco. Uh, But they have really good players on both sides of the ball. And if the quarterback is good enough, and there are indications here in the first two games, it's early and the opponents, Arizona and Denver, are not Buffalo and Philadelphia, the the, the, uh, two opponents that they've got coming up. In fact, when you look at the schedule, the number of, at least on paper right now, 
really good defensive teams that they face. You know, Buffalo, Philly twice, Dallas twice. They have Miami. They've got the Jets. They've got the 49ers. Um, The Giants are capable on defense. The Patriots are really good on defense. They're going to get tested. Sam Howell's going to get tested. Um, But there is a lot uh, to like about the way he played uh, yesterday. And they've got a team right now around him, that's for sure. There are better rosters in the NFL, but Deron Payne and John Allen and Montez Sweat and Cam Curl and Emmanuel Forbes and Jamin Davis and Chase Young, you know, on defense and Terry McLaurin and Brian Robinson Jr. and Dotson and Gibson and Deami Brown, they've got some legit dudes. They really do. It's been a long time since we could really say that confidently. I was thinking about at the end of last year, the disappointment of losing to Cleveland and then, you know, beating Dallas in in a meaningless season finale. And, you know, I said after the season was over, I didn't think that I would be saying this, but this season in so many ways is encouraging because they've got a lot of good players. The roster's pretty good, and it is. A fun game yesterday. Um, A a big early season win. I discussed last week, you know, you don't have to be a good team now. You've got to be good later in the season when it matters, but you've got to harvest those nuts, as Eddie Jordan said. You've got to have enough wins so when you get good, if you get good, the games that you play matter. And they've got two. Two and two tries. You know, two games that could have easily gone the other way. But they didn't lose those games. They won those games. And now you've got a massive game coming up Sunday at home against Buffalo. Buffalo's a six, six and a half point favorite right now. Um, Josh Allen and company coming off that game where they lost to the Jets on Monday Night Football, but they hammered the Raiders yesterday. I haven't seen much of that game. I will watch it or certainly watch the condensed version um, either tonight or tomorrow. But uh, this is a different test than Arizona and Denver. Now, the Jets defensively for Buffalo are kind of similar to what Washington will be. I mean, there's no Sauce Gardner, but Quinn and Williams is great, but my God, is Deron Payne great? John Allen great? Uh, I think they've got a chance Sunday at home. I'm very interested to see what the environment will be like. A lot of these tickets were probably sold even before the ownership situation was finalized, and Buffalo travels. It's not going to be the Arizona crowd. There will be some blue and red in the crowd, Uh, but it should be a phenomenal atmosphere, and it's a chance for Washington to get to 3-0 and for the first time since 2005. Uh, Window Nation's got the best deal that they have during the course of the year going right now. The more you buy, the more you save. And right now, you pay nothing for two full years, plus you can save up to 50% off the original price of the windows. They're going to deliver more for your home, more energy savings, more value, more features, more options, more beauty. And you don't have to put any money down, you don't make any payments, and you pay no interest for two years. Any style windows up to 50% off. That's bow, bay, double double hung, any style. You'll save thousands on your new windows and your energy bills all the while 
upgrading the look and feel of your home. Interest rates are going up. Mortgage rates are continuing to climb. And Window Nation's keeping interest rates at 0% for two years. You won't pay anything for two years. And when you start paying in the year 2025, you'll be paying half price. In the meantime, you'll be saving big on energy bills all the while upgrading the look and feel of your home. Window Nation's a company I've been an endorser of for 14 years. I've been a customer. Many of my listeners, many of my friends and family members have been customers as well. I've got complete trust in them. You should as well. If you've been thinking about new windows, just give them a call at 866-90-NATION. Go to windownation.com. Mention my name. They'll give you a free estimate. They're going to take great care of you. They have a great product, they have a great deal, and they're incredible people to work with. 866-90-NATION, windownation.com, and tell them that I sent you. My game take next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Slinging it to the end zone. Was it caught? Yes, McLaurin. Touchdown. An amazing catch by one of the stud wide receivers in the sport. What a throw by Sam Howell. What a catch by Terry McLaurin. They had erased a 21-3 deficit at that point, tying the game at 21-21 early in the third quarter. My game take coming up, Fred Smoot after that. But first, I want to tell you 
about MyBookie. MyBookie's got a no-strings-attached cash bonus that lets you deposit and withdraw quickly. You have to use my promo code Kevin DC on a deposit of $50 or more, and then you can receive up to $200 in cash instantly to your MyBookie account. Bet your deposit amount one time, and you're ready to withdraw at any time. Again, you've got to use my promo code Kevin DC to claim that cash deposit. MyBookie's got minus three tonight on the First game, it's a doubleheader tonight uh, for Monday Night Football. Uh, The Saints are three-point favorites at the Panthers. The Panthers are the last of my smell test picks for the weekend. And then Pittsburgh is a two-point underdog at home against Cleveland. So a Monday Night doubleheader, not only tonight, but next week. As well, the smell test five and two, three and one on Saturday, two and one yesterday with the Panthers pending. I had somebody tweet me and say, uh, if the Cardinals cover, I'll donate a hundred dollars to your favorite charity. Well, I'm not going to let you do that. Um, but yes, uh, the Giants were one of those heavily bet public teams, and I gave out the Cardinals plus the four. And look. They were in total control of that game, up 28 to 7, up 20 to nothing at halftime. The Giants literally were shut out 60 to nothing in the first six quarters of the NFL football season. But give them credit. They came back on the road and they scored 31 points in the second half. Uh, to beat Arizona with a walk-off field goal by Graham Gano, 31-28. to And uh, it wasn't actually a walk-off. I think there were a couple of seconds left when he made the field goal. Uh, but what a comeback by the Giants. But they did not cover. And my God, how about the Rams giving me a field goal with no time left for a backdoor plus seven-and-a-half cover against the Niners? The one loss, uh, the Patriots last night didn't get it done. They were down 24-17. Had a chance late to tie it. And I've got the Panthers going uh, tonight. MyBookie.ag, use my promo code, KevinDC. Looking ahead to Sunday, all right, I mentioned the point spread, six and a half, Buffalo at Washington. And the total now up a little bit. Part of that has to do with Buffalo, but part of it has to do with Washington scoring 35 points in basically two quarters of football. Um, that total uh, is 44 and a half on Sunday. My lean towards the Washington Denver under didn't exactly uh, hit. And I haven't added it up yesterday, but it certainly seems like after a week in which almost, I think it was a 12 and 4 week one on the unders, uh, a lot of overs yesterday. Um, a ton of overs. We had a lot of points and a lot of close games yesterday. All right, let's get to my game take. Pay attention. Here's Kevin's game take. What I liked, what I didn't like, and lots of other observations about the game and sort of critiques of of performances that didn't necessarily fit into either category for me. Uh, Let me start with what I liked. Sam Howell tops the list. And actually, you know, I could put these in any order. Um, uh, or you could put them in, in, in any order, and I'd have no problem with that. But 
I just thought that that was a big time performance yesterday, uh, especially with them trailing twenty one to three. They moved the ball a little bit on those first two drives. Uh, they missed a field goal and they made a field goal, and then you know there were two three and outs and they're down twenty one three, and it it looked hopeless until the Jamin Davis play. But at that point. You know, everything came to life. Uh, The offense came to life. The defense came to life. Sam Howell made some big-time plays. I think overall, what is apparent about Sam Howell, some of the things, you know, we knew and we talked about during the offseason, and some of of these things you've got to see. And we haven't seen enough yet. The jury is still out. I mean, it's not like they've returned the verdict here and you got a top 10 quarterback in Sam Howell after starts uh, and wins over Arizona and Denver. But, you know, he does look the part of a guy that's an NFL quarterback. At what level? You know, we've we got to wait on that. But he's got the arm, which we've known. He's got the mobility, which we, we've known. We've been learning that he's got some intangibles that you look for. He's tough. He's smart. He's fearless. You know, he's a gamer. He's a baller. You know, he's got grit, all of those things. Um, what's really clear, and we can say definitively, I think at this point, is he just appears to be better than anything they've had here recently. You know, he's got an NFL arm that this franchise hasn't had with Taylor Heineke for the better part of the last two years. He makes all the throws. And he had three exceptional throws in this game. The throw to Logan Thomas on fourth and goal for the first touchdown is a throw that is read correctly, it's out quickly, and it is perfectly thrown. What a catch by Logan Thomas, who took the big hit from Kareem Jackson. Uh, He's got the throw to Bates before the end of the first half. I mean, that is a throw that gets him in field goal range and makes it a seven-point game. It's not the same route as he connected uh, last week with Curtis Samuel on, but it's still such a big-time throw, and it's a three-point throw. I mean, that throw guarantees a shot at a field goal, which they converted. Last week's throw to Curtis Samuel guaranteed a shot at a field goal, which they converted. I mean, these are big-time throws at the end of halves, and then the throw to Terry is just um, its perfect. And Terry makes a great place, but he puts it in the spot you have to put it in. And there are throws that he makes like that one where he hangs in the pocket. He takes some shots, by the way, uh, a lot, um, and he threw that tall, meaning that ball came from up high and it launched high, and there didn't seem to be a chance for that one to get deflected. He scrambles off schedule for for plays. He creates more time off schedule. He avoids bad plays a lot. He was an A- yesterday. Um, The nitpicking, uh, well, let me just also mention – some really good quick game throws early on, you know, to Deami Brown. Um, some, you know, screens to. Uh, by the way, he on some of those screen passes, perfectly timed, perfectly disguised. Um, but he had a couple of those wide receiver screens. I think one to Terry, one to uh, Jahan. Um, had a really good throw to Logan Thomas when he took a big shot. Had a throw early in the game uh, to Dotson on the first third down of the game. Just made a lot of good plays. I don't know how he got out of that one near sack where they had him by the leg and he was able to throw the ball out of bounds to avoid the lost yardage. Uh, had a scramble for 10 yards on a big play. There was a defensive hold on, on that play. He just made 
a lot of really good plays. You know, the nitpicking would be the number of balls he gets deflected. I think there were another three or four of them yesterday. One of them was very close to being intercepted in the first half. Last week he had a ball deflected that was intercepted. There were a couple of times where he was a little bit, you know, slow in delivering and slow in, 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 in his processing, and he held on to the ball a bit too long. Um, it was amazing that he held on to that first sack from the backside. I think it was Gregory that got him. Uh, you know, he had a missed throw to, to Terry on a third and nine where Terry was open in between some coverage, but, uh, you know, missed badly on, on that throw. Um, but really there's not a lot, you know, to, to, to nitpick, uh, from his performance. Um, a minus for Sam Howell. Uh, Eric Bieniemy's play calling. I just thought he called a great game. He was pass heavy in their play calls in the first half, um, but you know he protected his quarterback better this week. He protected him from himself. He protected him from the offensive line. He's going to throw the football in 2023. He's going to throw the football to set up the run. He's going to throw the football because it's the way he can get the ball to his best players. On offense, which by the way also includes his running backs, who he you know threw screens to, and Robinson Jr. and Gibson, um, he's going to use the throw to set up the run in the second half. It looks like uh, he's confident in Hal. He's confident in his playmakers, and I thought the big um, you know the big progression from last week or the big takeaway was he understood the pressure that was put on his quarterback in the opener. And it doesn't really matter at this point whether it was the O-line or Hal holding on to it too long last week. He accounted for that in Denver yesterday. More quick game. More line of scrimmage throws early. More screens. I mean, screens to everybody. Robinson, Gibson, Cole Turner, you know, Terry, Dotson. Um, and then when he established that they were going to be a team that was going to throw it heavily over running it, then he comes back in the second half and he runs Brian Robinson down the throats of the Broncos. I had Robinson for 13 of his 18 carries in the second half and 74 of his 87 yards in the second half. That's 5.7 yards per pop in the second half. Two touchdowns also. Uh, you know, Eric Bieniemy's got a bunch of weapons and a quarterback that he is more than comfortable with. And I just thought he called a really good game. I thought it was uh, a game in which he he got done what he wanted to get done, but at the same time did it in a way that was more protective um, and more and less risk to blowing the game on offense, which nearly happened last week. Uh, there were a couple of things that I would that I would like to see called back. Uh, these are small nits to pick, but I didn't love the RPO on third and goal before their first touchdown near the end of the first half that went to Logan incomplete. I just, in that red zone, would prefer to see Sam having the ability to create off schedule, which is what he did last week to the tune of a touchdown pass to Robinson Jr. and a touchdown scramble. On that RPO, he may have made the wrong decision. He may have... Uh, he may have been better off uh, handing the ball off to Gibson, but he pulled it and he threw it to Logan Thomas and it was incomplete. And then they went for the fourth and goal more on that in a moment. Um, 
But uh, I didn't love the drop-back call at the end of the first half with 13 seconds to go and no timeouts. I thought that was risky and dangerous. You know, they weren't going to score a touchdown on that drive with 13 seconds to go in the ball at the Denver uh, 31-yard line. But they could have picked up more yardage by, you know, a sprint out and a quick dash and a, and a sideline throw with Denver maybe playing a little bit soft. And he dropped him back with 13 seconds left, and he let that thing go um, out of bounds, fortunately. But given the pressure and given the sack totals, I thought that that was risky because they had no timeouts left. And and then with eight seconds to go, they dropped him back again and had him throw towards the end zone. Um, but overall, A, an A for Eric Bieniemy. Uh Brian Robinson Jr., I mean, what can you say? 18 carries, 87 yards, two screens for 42 yards. He had 20 touches for 129 yards. That's six and a half yards per touch. That's pretty good. I mean, a lot of the runs he gets and the yardage he gets are runs, you know, is some of those runs after contact. I mean, he carries, carries the pile. He's really showing better patience. He's a load to tackle. He's got an upright style, but it doesn't seem to really impact, you know, at point of contact. And the two point conversion, sticking that ball out just enough, was a huge, huge play in the game. Also on the list of things that I liked. Well, the Jamin Davis play, of course, was the play of the game. But just the defense overall after the forced fumble, as I mentioned earlier, five drives that they had after the forced fumble, 52 yards, three punts, one interception, and it was a field goal drive that started at midfield. That is dominance. And it was dominance when they needed it most, like last week when they were down 16-10 to Arizona in the fourth quarter. Specifically on defense, Deron Payne, his personal three and out to start the second half was awesome. I mean, he had a sack, a tackle for loss. He had two more of those yesterday, and then he knocked down a pass. I mean, that is a Hall of Fame series from a defensive tackle who has turned into an elite player. Deron Payne is elite as a player. Is he Aaron Donald, Quinnen Williams? I don't know. Uh, But he is super athletic, freakishly athletic. He is smart. You have to double-team him to keep him from being a factor on any play. Um, And even when you're you're double-teaming him, he's taking on two to make it easier for others. He just is an absolute, complete player right now. Uh, He got doubled a lot. John got doubled a lot. Um, but a sack, two more TFLs, multiple quarterback pressures. I am sure, and I haven't seen it yet, but it'll probably be out later today. I'm sure PFF will have like an average grade for Payne. I don't know what it is with Pro Football Focus and their grading of Deron Payne, but every time I think he was dominant, it seems like there is their their grade is like just a little bit better than average. Uh, I thought it was one of the best games he has ever played. He and Allen together are the best inside duo in the league. You can certainly make that case. Uh, I love John Allen's performance. He took up a lot of double teams yesterday as well. I thought Jamin Davis, the sideline to sideline speed, the, uh, the, the, the early penalty was not a smart play on the roughing the passer, but he had the biggest play of the game. He had multiple quarterback pressures. There was one time where he just walloped Russell Wilson, um, Jamin Davis is on the list. 
Uh, Casey Tuhill is on my list of things that I liked. I mentioned him last week. I know he doesn't get a lot of snaps, but the snaps he gets, he's effective. He makes plays. Um, on the play where Jamin Davis got called for roughing the passer, passer Tuhill totally read and deflected a screen pass that would have gone for big yardage. He's got pressure every time you kind of look at him on the field. And again, he's not on the field a lot. I kind of like just a lot of their defensive linemen. You know, a lot of them are really, really good players. I think Ridgeway's good. Um, you know, obviously the starters. I think James Smith Williams is strong as hell. Uh, but I like Tuhill. Um, he had a sack in the game. He had a couple of quarterback pressures. And I think Denton told me earlier today his – do I have that up? I f- did put it up. He played on just 16 of the 66 snaps. He's not out there but a lot, but when he's out there, I think he makes an impression. Um, also on the list of things that I liked – the decision to go for two after the first touchdown when Kareem Jackson leveled Logan Thomas and knocked him out of the game. Right when that happened, I tweeted out, go for two right here because you're going to go for two from the one-yard line. You're going to get half the distance to the goal. And they did it, and they made it. It was a big play in the game. I mean, they won by two. Hello. you know. And, and it's not one of those where you know maybe the game turns out differently. If they don't make it there, if they don't replay that and then give them the two points, and I just think it was the right decision by Ron to go for it there. They were probably down 21-3, to three, down 18. At some point, they were there might have been in a position where they had to go for two. So go for it there where you have half the distance to cover. But if they had missed it, you know, it would have been 21-9. Then the field goal before the half would have made, made it 21-12. Uh, and then they would have scored, uh, and they wouldn't have gone for two right away down nine, and it would have been 21-19. And then uh, they would have given up a field goal, so they would have been down 24-19. And then their touchdown would have either been 25-24 to or 27-24, to because down 24-19, they would have gone for two. Um, and then when they next scored that next touchdown, the Robinson touchdown, the score would have been either 32-24, to or 34 to 24 more likely than not. And so Denver with a touchdown with a field goal and then a Hail Mary would have potentially either been on the verge of winning the game or, you know, uh tying the game. Um more likely than not tying the game because at 32-24 they wouldn't have kicked the field goal. They would have kept the offense on the field to try to score. Uh but anyway, uh, there were a lot of other things that I liked in the game, but those are the things that stood out more than anything else. Terry McLaurin looked good. Deami Brown had a good game. I thought Sadiq Charles <clears throat> played well. I thought a lot of the receivers did a good job of blocking downfield. You don't get the kind of yardage that they got on screens and on big chunk runs without wide receivers blocking. There was a lot to like from the game yesterday. All right, what I didn't like. Uh, I didn't like the start defensively. They gave up a lot of runs on the edges, and this is a bit of a concern right now. They gave up some runs last week to Connor, who, by the way, went over 100 yards against the Giants yesterday, and they gave up some real yardage to Javante Williams. I mean, he's the real deal. I talked about him last week. You know, he averaged 5.9 yards per carry in the first half. He's a really good player. Um, 
I, I think, you know, even when they were in that five-man front, that their Cinco package, I think they got run on. They really got, uh, ru- you know, run on on the edges. Uh, the zone read keeper by Russell Wilson was a good play. That touchdown run, the first touchdown of the day by McLaughlin was just too easy. Looked like Chase got influenced a little bit to the inside and there was no contain. Um, they got burned on the two corners blitzing when St. Juice and Forbes blitzed on the big touchdown pass to Mims Jr. Seemed like Sean Payton in those first three drives was just playing chess a little bit to Jack Del Rio's checkers. I mean, he was a step or two ahead. Uh, those first three drives for Denver, 17 plays, 226 yards, 13.3 yards per play, 21 points. They just seemed to get to the line of scrimmage, and if they didn't like what was called, they had a check they could get to. They they built a 21-3 lead with Russell Wilson having five completed balls. Now, one was for a 60-yard touchdown, and another one was for 54 yards, but it, the defensive start is on the list of things that I did not like. Now, after that start, after those three drives... Denver had 45 offensive snaps for 173 yards, 3.8 yards per play versus 13.3 yards per play. The defense became what we believe it to be, and that is dominant. And keep in mind, of those 173 yards on 45 plays, 50 of them came on the Hail Mary. Um, Again, one concern, just the consistency against the run. Uh, secondly on the list of things that I didn't like, I still think they're just allowing too much pressure, uh, on offense, too much, uh, you know, pass protection, um, issues, uh, too many of them, uh, sacks pressure allowed, you know, need more time to determine, you know, where the sacks fall in terms of blame. I thought Sam was under pressure pretty quickly early. I think he got lucky on that one where, um, he could have been easily stripped, but that may have been an example of him holding on to it a little bit too long. Uh, but uh, I, there was one where Sam clearly could have hit the check down. I think he, could, he, think he had Dotson. He held on to the ball, and then Gibson was wide open on the check down, and he didn't hit him. I thought there was a time he could have stepped up into the pocket when he got uh, hit from the backside. Um, but, yeah, uh, on the list of things I didn't like, I still don't love their their protection all the time. Uh, two missed field goals and Cameron Cheeseman's snap. I mean, come on, enough already. Special teams in general, two missed field goals, one bad snap from Cheeseman, which we really didn't see on the television thing unless you really you bring it back frame by frame and you can see Tressway taking a ball that's not doesn't look perfect, you know, in in his hands, and he gets it there for uh, Sly to kick it, even though Sly missed it. Um, they gave up a big punt return the special teams did. I thought I saw a block in the back on that play. But look, you, you got to fix this problem. Cameron Cheeseman is going to, you know, hurt them in a big spot. You know, you, you, you've got you got a close game against Philly in two weeks, division opponent. you got a chance to kick a walk-off field goal from 44 yards out. You know, is he going to roll one back? And are you going to lose a game because of it? They got to figure that out. Uh, penalties, um, I think, were an issue again. Eight for seventy. Uh, Davis's roughing wasn't very good. Chase's roughing not good. Chase had a neutral zone as well. Sixteen penalties in two games for 141 yards of penalty. 
uh, you know, assessment. Uh, and their third down offense hasn't been great. Uh, it wasn't great yesterday, three uh, three for 10, and that makes them seven for 22 in the first two games. So that's the list of things I didn't like, but let me get to some other observations and then we'll get to Smoot. There were a couple of key plays in the game that were really important after the biggest play in the game, the Jamin Davis forced fumble. So after that forced fumble, Washington takes over at the Denver 49-yard line. Cosme gets called for holding on first down. And then they get a nine-yard play, and it's now second and 11. And that guy, Benito, who was their second-round pick, I think, last year, man, he was tough to block. He blitzes. He's got uh, Hal dead to right for a sack, which would have set up third and 20 or longer, which means that they would have stopped Denver with the forced fumble, but they needed to score. And Benito grabs Sam Howell's face mask while attempting to sack him. That was a big-time break. The, the call was the right call. But if he doesn't grab the face mask and he just wraps him up, it's third and 20-plus, and Washington's probably punting the ball down 21-3. to three. Uh, That was a very key play. The Jamin Davis force fumble and then that face mask allowed them to stay on the field and eventually get a touchdown and a two-point conversion to make it a 10-point game. Um, There was another key play in the game that I wanted to mention. After they scored to make it 21-11 to with the two-point conversion, Denver's got a third and nine from their own 26-yard line. And Jerry Judy is wide the you-know-what open, uncovered for an easy first down and more. And Russell Wilson, who had, I thought, a good day. I did. I, I think he last week looked a little bit more like Russell Wilson, and this week at times looked a little bit more like Russell Wilson. But he was facing you know, one hell of a defense. But he throws behind Judy on third and nine. If he hits Judy in stride, Judy's out to the 40 or 45-yard line. And in a 21-11 to game, Denver's got a chance to get in field goal range to take a 24-11 to halftime lead. But instead, the ball's behind him. He hits the ground, making the catch. And then Washington gets to him and stops him two yards short of the first down. And instead, Washington gets the ball back, and they go down and kick a field goal, and it's 21-14. to So... Uh, looking at sort of this game beyond what I liked and what I didn't like, key play was uh, for sure uh, the face mask on Sam Howell to continue what would have been a drive that was about to end after the forced fumble by Jamin Davis, which means you probably go to halftime 21-3. I don't know. Maybe you get a quick three and out um, after the punt. Uh, and then... Um, I think the the behind Jerry Judy throw on third and nine was huge. That was a that was going to be a nice chunk play for Denver to get out of that trouble and then maybe maybe just stem the tide a little bit uh, because it's twenty one to eleven at that point and maybe they they can go down and get a field goal to make it twenty four to eleven. All right, uh, Chase Young, he did not make the things I liked list, and he did not make the things that I did not like list. He was closer to making the things that I liked list. He's just he's just an absolute monster when he's healthy. He's such a physical 
imposing presence. He's a freak athletically. He's a big man, and he impacts the game positively when he's in it. Now, he also at times impacts the game negatively, but he looked healthy. He was impossible to, you know, at times to block. He had the pressure on the biggest play of the game, the, the, the Jamin Davis forced fumble. He had a sack and a half in the game. He had multiple pressures. He ripped Javante Williams down to the ground on a run. He's explosive and strong. At times you you think he's really seeing everything. Like he read a screen that Russell Wilson had to basically dirt, throw it into the ground. But then there are times where he seems to kind of misread things. You know, if we're being objective here, there are a couple of things that just have to be cleaned up with Chase Young to make sure that we get the best of him every week from start to finish, that it's not, you know, great play, great play, and then, oh, why did you do that? Like, why did he rough Russell Wilson? That was a stupid penalty. Why was he in the neutral zone? That was a dumb penalty, you know? And he gets influenced by plays and by linemen and by tight ends. He got sucked in on that first touchdown run for Denver that made it 7 to nothing. You know, they turn him loose upfield sometimes, and he doesn't realize until it's too late, oh, they're running behind me, or there's a screen called my direction, or whatever it is. He just is so talented, and I'm so excited to see him healthy, and I hope he stays healthy. And I know that everybody says that he is more into his approach you know, now, um, it's just at times he's got to be a little bit more disciplined. Penalties and scheme-wise, a little bit more consistent. Um, the fourth and goal go for it in the first half. I mean, it's a big-time call. It's one of Sam's best throws to Logan Thomas before the big hit that knocked him out. I mean, a lot of teams kick the field goal, and it's 21-6, and they try to get it back one more time, or they just go to halftime 21-6. That was an interesting call. Somebody told me, and I have not checked it out yet, that <clears throat> uh, that, that Eric Bieniemy looked pissed at Ron when Ron said field goal, so that Bieniemy was the one that basically talked Ron into going for fourth and goal. I don't know if that's true or not. The two-point conversion, I, th- I thought it was the easy call <clears throat> after the um, – penalty on Jackson you get it at the one yard line and you get a chance you know to get two from 21-9 to 21-11 we didn't see the play because CBS was late getting back we saw the replay and I thought Robinson Jr. did a a great job of getting the ball just to the plane of the goal line so it was 21-11 and you know they got the ball back after using three timeouts very wisely they get it back and they get a field goal before halftime and it's 21-14 just like that Um, Okay, a big one in this game. Ron's decision to kick the 59-yard field goal in a 21-21 game. Now, the context for this. It's 21-21, and Washington's got all the the momentum. Okay, they've run off 18 straight points. Um, They had just intercepted a pass the Emmanuel Forbes interception. They've driven it down to the Denver 24-yard line, and then Hal took a sack. That should have been, you know, kind of a nitpicky thing on Hal. That's a big sack that knocked him out of field goal range in that spot. 
Ron decides to send Joey Sly out there for a 59-yard field goal in a 21-21 game when you've got snap issues and you've got a defense playing lights out. Look, I have no problem with those of you thinking that that was a horrible decision. But here's why I'm not going to kill Ron for it, okay? If you don't know this, Denver's a mile high, and the thin air makes the ball travel further. On average, if you take into all if you take into consideration all of the weather conditions in Denver, on average it's about 5 to 6 yards you gain kicking in Denver. In warm weather, like it was yesterday, it's more like 7, 8, 9 yards of additional yardage for for your kicks. Apparently in pregames, Joey Sly was easily getting it from 65 and in. All right. It's it's a situation where you've got a long snapper who's an issue. Understood. Uh, the defense is playing well. You could punt it. I don't have any problem with those of you who take issue with Ron kicking that field goal, but I can't kill him for it. That, that's a 52-yard kick when you factor in everything, not a 59-yard kick. And I'm sorry, but in, in a 21-21 game, you've got a chance to take the lead and, and keep the momentum, and it's a 52-yarder, and your guy's got a big leg, and he's certainly capable. I, I can't kill him for it. Can't. Um, I'll tell you what I didn't love. I didn't like the decisions on the last two plays of the first half. I know I mentioned this with Eric Bieniemy's play calling. I didn't like the drop back with 13 seconds to go. A sack would have ended the half. They would have never gotten a field goal opportunity off. And then with eight seconds to go, they threw it into the end zone. I mean, there were two seconds left when the play ended. But, man, I thought that was yeah, – they dropped him back. And then what if the ball – what if it's contested for and it gets bounced around and the final two seconds run off the clock and the ball falls incomplete? I didn't like that. Um, I, uh, I know I mentioned this last week that Ron handled it the right way. So before the Hail Mary final drive of the game – Washington's on offense. They did the right thing, I believe, by you know running the ball. I, I guess they could have run a bootleg, and Sam could have kept the ball for a couple yards, stayed in bounds if if the throw wasn't an easy throw for a first down. But you know they were up eight, and Denver had two timeouts left when they started that drive from their own forty-three. After, by the way, let me mention the onside kick by Will Lutz was a great onside kick attempt. Um, it was a very nice job by Dotson to kind of, you know, not get in the way of bobbling it and then Rodriguez uh, recovering it. But, man, that was a live ball in that spot. But Denver, you know, needed to call those last two timeouts. Washington forced those. And then on third down, they decided not to take a chance throwing it for a first down. They were content with punting the football and giving it to Denver with, like, 40-something seconds left. But Ron did the thing that coaches do where they stand by the referee as the play clock's ticking down, you know, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. Ah, timeout. We got it at one second. We look so smart. Yeah, the problem is, is I don't think that was very smart. I think the second was more important than the five yards on the delay of game. Take the delay of game and run that clock down the entirety of the clock. Because Russell Wilson... Uh, threw the Hail Mary on a play with three seconds left in the game. So imagine, you know, seconds do matter. And the coaches, for whatever reason, they get caught up in this, look at how smart I am. I'm standing next to the ref. I'm a clock manager. I know where to call the timeouts. And he calls it with one second to go. No, 
To me, in that situation, punting from midfield, Tressway, to me, the one second's more important than the five yards. Period. Uh, and then, um, yeah, I guess that's it. Look, the Hail Mary play, I guess they could have had Cole Turner back there. I just, I, I just think it's kind of a flukish play. Um, they rushed five, uh, by the way, the Cam Curl tackle on Wilson on that final drive, man, that ran the clock. I mean, Wilson was close to getting out of bounds. What a great play uh, by Cam Curl. Um, oh, I wanted to mention, I thought that Denver did a terrible job managing the clock uh, at the end of that game. I mean, they had the ball with four minutes in the red zone, and they didn't kick a field goal until after the two-minute warning. They were huddling up. They took way too long. Uh, I think that is it. Chase Young plays up in a two-point stance a lot. I find that interesting where Montez Sweat really doesn't. But a really, really nice effort after the forced fumble by Jamin Davis. That game completely flipped in Washington. Was a dominant team with just better players than Denver has the rest of the way. All right. Uh, Fred Smoot to finish up the show next. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Fred Smoot coming up here momentarily. Football season, well, it's finally here. Uh, It's really here uh, with Washington in the first two weeks. If you're looking for a spot to watch your favorite teams battle it out, head to Due South Dockside in Navy Yard, right on the Capitol Riverfront Boardwalk, with a stocked bar, draft beer, and a menu full of Due South House smoked barbecue favorites. Their waterside location is the perfect place to gather all season long or to host your next event. So come on down and do the queue at Due South. Menus and more at DueSouthDC.com. This is another one of those places owned by... Uh, Bo Blair, he's just an incredible restaurateur. Jetties, Millie's, the bullpen, um, and uh, Due South is another one. If you guys are down there, it's a great spot with a great menu, and they've always got sports on uh, in that place. Again, DueSouthDC.com. All right, let's bring Fred Smoot on to the show. Smoot, of course, hosting pregame and postgame with our good friend Scott Jackson on the Washington Commanders Radio Broadcast Network. And he does so much with the Commanders on the Commanders website uh, as well. So 
I want to start with just this. 35-33, a two-point win. They're 2-0. and What did you think? Uh, I have to say, in the preseason, because I know we did one of, one of your podcasts, Professor, where I told you <laughs> this is what I felt this team was going to be. <laughs> did I not say that? I said we were going to see a young, growing quarterback who can make every throw, and he's a sneaky, better athlete than most people give him credit for, and he has the emotion. Like, this guy's emotionless. It's the great thing about it. He don't get too high when he succeeds. He don't get too low when he fails. And this guy is an elephant that remembers nothing. I And I love that about him. And it, it's, it's resonating with the team. And what's making it even better, and this is what I tell people, at the end of the day, since this guy's been starting for this team, he beat the Cowboys last year, so he hasn't lost to the Cowboys before. He doesn't care what you're saying. All right? He is undefeated. He's 0-3 as a starter. He's played in three games. He's won three games. All right? And if you count the preseason, he's still undefeated. All I'm saying is this. It's something with him. He has a moxie about him. And it doesn't matter if he's up 15, if he's down 20. Like, I never, while I was sitting there watching the game, and I haven't felt this for a long time here. I haven't felt it. We was down. And I wasn't worried. Like, I wasn't shaking. I was like, just give them a second. And they just start to methodically chop wood. (laughs) Well, hold on, hold on. Hold on for a second. Hold on for a second. So it's 21 to 3. And this is about to turn into the Red Wedding, okay? This is how ugly it's going to get. And you were like, you were like, no, 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 no. We're good here. We're going to win. You really thought down 21-3. Let me just make one thing clear here. They scored, Denver did, in 17 plays, 226 yards, 21 points, Mm -hmm. and the offense had Mm -hmm. gone three and out punt, three and out punt, and you thought we were good. Yes, I did. Hey, Professor, sit at my bartender. I'm at my bar. I'm a bartender. I'm going to make you a drink. Check this out. I'm going to put a little beet juice in it first. But this is what happens. You're coming out. You're playing the Broncos. All right? You're playing the Broncos at their first home game. It's going to be a lot of adrenaline pumping. You just see what was happening at FedEx, bringing a lot of energy. You knew they was going to start out fast. Mix that with the fact that our guys got to get acclimated, especially on defense, how to just breathe here. They're going to start out fast. It's always been a signature of Denver Bronco football. They will start fast, but if you can weather the storm and still be in the game, because even though we was down, we was moving the ball up and down the field. I say it's something to it. Get a defense some time to settle. Then we finally got Russell out of the pocket, made him move, and when we made him move, the turning point of the game with Jamin Davis came from out of nowhere. I don't know where he popped up from, just a ghost. And he smeared Russell, the governor of Colorado, across the grass of Mile High Stadium. <laughs> that changed everything. That was the pivotal moment. That's when everything changed. I said, we have no problems now. But I understood what was going on. And it was so smart. I coached the enemy. Literally said, okay, yeah, Randy Gregory, they got speed off the edges with these guys. How about I weaponize their rush, use their rush against them, run screen, make them rush upfield, throw the ball under. Like it was, 
it was masterful what I was watching, and I would say, once the defense gets the pass rushing, now everything happens. And guess what? I want to congratulate one governor, uh, Russell Wilson of Colorado. You are the first person to be on the Forbes list. Yes, you are. Congratulations. You know, in all seriousness here, and I know you're being serious, but I think, and I talked about this a lot in the open to, to the show, most games, you know, you're a sports fan, I'm a sports fan, we watch games, and usually it comes down not to one play, but they're like four or five plays that really decide the game. The Jamin Davis play was the play of the game, and there was no close second because they really were. And by the way, you pointed this out, and I think it's really smart to point it out. The offense did move the football on those opening two drives of the game. They missed a field goal with the bad snap, and then they made a field goal. It's not like they were shut out completely, but they had gone three and out, and that score was getting ready to be 24-3 to or 28-3. And I don't care how much you knew that that game was still in play at 24 to 3 or 28 to 3 at that point with about 2 3 minutes to go in the first half it's over Jamin Davis's play gave them a chance to flip the script and then they took advantage of it and then you know we can talk about everything that happened but do you agree with me that often we don't talk about one play because it's really exaggerated but in this case it's not the one play totally saved them in the moment uh, it's the moment play that's what I was going to say it's the play in the moment that's, that switches it for both teams now you go to coach, and I'm telling you, it's some funky dynamic about this relationship with Sean Payton and Russell Wilson. I've never seen a, a, a future Hall of Famer uh, be brought to a new team and bent to the coach's wheel like I'm seeing there. So it's something there. So when that fumble happens, there's more disgust on the face of Sean Payton. There's more distrust in Russell and Sean Payton. I, it twists the narrative because now it gives the offense a short field, which this offense has succeeded with short field. I, this is what people also have to understand. I know this is pro football, but the narrative is this. If you write it on a piece of paper, our offensive coordinator has been in the building six months. This offense is running like a, a wear or a machine that has to mature. I, our quarterback has literally started 12, 12 quarters of football, and the expectations are through the roof for him instead of saying, let's watch Let's watch him grow. So everything he does to me over a certain bar and a certain line is only extra. It's only this is what this kid brings to the table. This is it is, is more than his game. It's a maturity there, and it's a mental. It's a chip over there too. It's a chip on his shoulder also. But no, that turning point with Jamin Davis. Yes, it's that play. It's the Levar Arrington pickoff against Carolina. It's that oh, play. It's good the one. Shot. Good it's, one. Yeah, it's the Sean Taylor pick up the fumble, Tampa <laughs> Bay. It's the, it, you know what? Some plays are going without saying. It's that play that you'll remember, especially if this season turned out to be way more than the people expected to be. The LeVar Arrington play against the Panthers was the play that completely turned around the game and then the season. Because remember, it was 14 to nothing in that game. Yes, so, yes it was. Yeah, so, and, and then all of a sudden you, we win that game against Carolina and then go win five in a row and it's back to 500. Um, so um, 
All right. Uh, God, there's so many places to go here. I, I just... I I agree. Look, I agree with you, and and I know that you've told me a lot. You know, I think you referred to him at one point actually as the you know as the young wolf. I think you actually referred to Sam Howell as Rob Stark. Um, and yesterday was a near red wedding experience in the first twenty minutes. But 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 I am going to tell you that I. I just needed to see it. I, I knew he had the arm. I know he's got the mobility, but I, I needed to see it. I think that's fair, and I still haven't seen enough. He was not good last week. He made some good plays, but there's still some things to overcome. So I want you to be a little bit more a little bit more objective and tell me, mm-hmm. I thought he was an A. I gave him an A- minus for the performance yesterday. Um, we know he made big-time throws to Logan for the touchdown of fourth and goal. The throw to Bates at the end of the half was incredible, and the throw to Terry was incredible. He extended plays. He got rid of the ball at times to avoid things. But what do you still feel like when you watch him <laughs> that at least gives you some pause, like that has to be developed, that's got to be coached out of him, et cetera, et cetera? If you know what, because it feels like I need to coach some out of you. It feels like <laughs> you're so you're so scorned over the quarterback play over the last decade that because you because you're watching good quarterback play, you can't digest it right. Like you have like listen, he's everything people thought he wasn't. Either we knew he was a good thrower of the ball. Like they said he hold on to the ball sometimes because uh, and he gets sacked. And guess what? That's called the gifts of being gifted. Like, that's just like Josh Allen. The reason he throw crazy your 80 yard passes is, is because he can. So when you sometimes having gifts are the curse in it. But what I'm saying, he's mature more than we think he is. This is what he's seen going against a defense like this at practice, going against this defensive line at practice, preparing to go against top notch defenses. He's been doing it for a year. And now I'm not shocked. He's coming out here, and plus I say he has. I, everybody always say either the it factor are intangibles. I may be just the same thing. Well, he has that it, and that it is gamer. I'm gonna make plays when they need to be done. I, right, for instance, Herbert just got paid. I thank Lord, brother. We all want to. I tell you this. Look at his stat line. Look at Sam Howe's stat line. They the same stat line, except one of these guys played winning football. Wait, one of them who, did, one you, of them, who yeah. did you just say? Herbert. Oh, Herbert, for the Herbert, 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 yeah. Herbert, Justin Herbert for the Chargers, threw for 300 yards. Yeah. Sam threw for 299. But one is playing a winning, winning ball, a winning type ball of football, football because of this new brain trust he got also. And one is, is, is playing a stat field game. Like, at the end of the day, meaningful football. Like, I, I want to see my guy go win his first road game in a hostile territory with everything, with Mother Nature going against you because uh, uh, uh aptitude, with, with great players on the field, playing against a future Hall of Fame and quarterback, a Hall of Fame coach, and all he does is go in there, get the victory, get on the plane, come back to D.C. Yes, it's real. And I know you think it's a dream, and I will come over there and pinch you if you need me to, but yes, we finally got a quarterback, but we still have to be patient with him. we got to be patient. I haven't been pinched in a long time. That might be great. But did I just, <laughs> did I just honestly hear you? Like, okay, I'm going to put it to you right now. 
Right now, you if somebody is offering you Justin Herbert for Sam Howell straight up, and you are the general manager of the Washington Commanders. What do you do? I tell them, if I wanted him, I would have got him on the first go-around when I picked Chase Young. Oh, so, I had a so you're not taking Jason that Irwin. deal. <laughs> I, 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 listen, am I taking his contract, too? Yes. Because if I'm taking his contract, I'm going to look around with some guys with his contract and see who didn't actually won a playoff game. Do you know? Can I get at least a playoff? <laughs> <laughs> you look at something and it has all the potential in the world. All right? But then, I what am I getting back for my investment? I, he looks good getting off the bus. He throws for 300 yards. He puts up 4,030 touchdowns per year. No playoff win. What are we doing? Hold on for a second. You know, I... I want to move on from this because I actually don't believe you. I know that if I, I, I 100% know you would make that trade in a heartbeat. Because, hey, because it's, it's more than just talent. It's about what am I getting? All right, let me ask you this. What? How do the Denver Broncos feel about the investment they made in the Super that's Bowl a, that's with a, that's a, with a, that's, a, that's That's apples and oranges. Russell Wilson's an aging veteran player. Justin Herbert, six foot six, 250 pounds, and is going See, to be probably go. a future Hall of Famer who's played, by the way, in his first two weeks, the Miami Dolphins, who right now are starting to resemble the greatest show on turf. And by the way, a Tennessee team on the road that was desperate and has a mass a great defense. A Tennessee team in a stink. Well, a black guy got the whole NFC East to play, who had the best record last year in the league. They almost had four playoff teams. (laughs) And at the end of the day, look at the records of the NFC East right now. We got two undefeated teams, and then we got the Giants. If Justin Herbert were on this team, with 94 Duran Payne and 93 John Allen and 90 Montez Sweat and and what they have on defense, we would be the Super Bowl favorite in the NFC right now. You really think that over? Uh, you really think I, over you, the, over Philadelphia Eagles? You think they would pick us no, over there no, with just uh, inserting him? I'll tell you what. It would be really close between the Eagles, 49ers, and Washington if Justin Herbert were the quarterback. It, the Eagles and 49ers might be slightly favored over Washington, but we'd be right there if Justin Herbert were the quarterback. Why are why, why are, did you suck me into this? I don't want to talk about I don't want to talk about something that's so obvious. But I want you to know that Eric B. Enemy just got here six months ago, so he wouldn't have had the same offensive coordinator. It would have been another guy by the name of Turner. All right, yeah. like, so, you know, it, it, it's a lot of the variables that go into that when you talk about succeeding, right? Right. All right, let's uh, – okay, every – Subject number one, Sam Howell, we can check that box. He was he was outstanding yesterday. We both agree, and there is definitely something to him. He's got he's got the intangibles, he's got the talent. I would love it if he were two to three inches taller, because he's now had six he's he's got he's got six to seven balls deflected in two games so far. By the way, one got picked last week and one should have been picked yesterday. Um, tell me what they did wrong, if they did anything wrong, on the Hail Mary play. 
Uh, and you say should have. Don't be bringing up should have, Professor. You better than that. I should have invested in Apple, and I'd be a billionaire. No, I said, I said now, maybe maybe the answer is they did fine, and it was just yeah. one of those things that happens. I'm going to say the, one, the, the flukiest play in all of sports is a Hail Mary. Sure. There's no science to it. There's nothing to it. It's, it's guys jumping in a bunch in the ball being this pinball that either going to get spiked Picked up and once I seen it get bounced up. Once I seen a tip ball, a tip ball is a cop ball, and they is the most dangerous ball in football. So I was I was afraid then. The only thing I can say is the guys in the front need to understand the receiver's always gonna send a guy to the back of the pile, and he's the guy to receive the rebounder. He's the rebounder. So what we used to do is we'll have one guy like Sean Taylor looking for the rebounder. He would move him first, and then we would try to secure the ball from the front with the rest of us jumping. So just having a true, true plan, but it's it's hard to practice. You can never really practice it, and it's one of those things. You don't know what type of ball you're getting, and you don't know what's about to happen until it's happening. I know, but, you know, so what you just described was... Chaos. Ma- organized <clears throat> chaos. I know, and I agree with you. And I, I, I'm not... I, I actually am not super critical of what happened on the play. I mean... It looked like uh, certainly Forbes tried to get up and knock it down. St. Juice was behind the play, but he was actually covering somebody, so he wasn't right behind the play. But, you know, they did rush five, and so they only had six back. Usually in those situations, uh, you know, a Hail Mary defense, you'll see three rushers, maybe a fourth, and you'll have seven to eight back. So I, I Mm. I, I just thought you might have an opinion on what they did there other than... It was. It's always a fluke when it's c- completed. By the way, I've got something for you. The professor has something for you, um, and it was it was called in by my guy Paulie from the seven five seven on the radio show. Did you know mm-hmm. that this is the second time in three seasons that Sean Payton has coached a team that's converted a hail mary against Washington? Remember mm. when Jameis Winston for the Saints yeah. threw to yeah. Callaway at the yeah. end of the half? Yeah, so, I do, I do. Yeah, but that was different because yeah, so, they were kind of playing to stop him from getting a quick out and maybe a field goal attempt because it, it was at the end of the half. But anyway. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I do I do remember that, and Polly is right. That is a gem. So maybe, maybe he got a four-leaf clover or a rabbit's foot in his pocket <laughs> when it comes to throwing hair mirrors. But I like to say this. If somebody's throwing a hair mirror on you, you are in the league, and all you got to do is stop them. All right, that means they are panicking and they are running out of time. Okay, before you answer the question, well, it wasn't called, I'm going to preface this question by saying I understand that it wasn't called, but do you think it mm-hmm. was pass interference on St. Juice on the two-point conversion? No, no. It was what you call a bang-bang play, one of those things where I thought everything met at the same time in real time. When you look at things in slow motion, man, it, it, it can be very uh, deceptive. And also, I'm going to take it and be honest with you, I'm also a DB, so it's a slight lean over there towards yeah, him. Maybe. Uh, understanding the situation, I thought the referee did a good job of letting it play. And we've seen, if you really want to know, the play before that, the receiver was out of bounds. So they, they like, in, in a way, they, they owed us something. So at the end of the day, I don't think the play – well, and I know everybody's going to say, but by the way, it was past interference. How many times have we been on the opposite side of that call? How many times have we been the team that sits there with some kind of odd 
situation that don't go our way. Well, sometimes things are going your way because you're in good spirits and the energy has changed. Well, maybe this is one of those times. No past interference by me, by Fred Smoot. St. Juice did his thing right there. <laughs> Great way to see each player go and make plays. Then what you saw, you saw Forbes make a play. You saw Deron Payne, hell, take a whole series and dominate it. You watch uh, uh, Chase Young take Take the whole half and dominate it. You watch Sweat like this is this is something magical we're watching. The one thing I can give these guys in the front office props for, if you look at the draft picks we accumulated yep. over the last four or five years, we are one of the best drafted teams in football. They have built a roster. This is the best overall roster Washington has had since I think maybe the 2005 team. You know, um, uh, but I think, but but I, but let me just say, there's no Deron Payne on that team. There's no John no. Allen. There's no Montez no. Sweat. There's no Chase Young. None of that. I mean, so there, there's something. I agree. They've done it, and this is why it frustrated me when Ron would say, "We're just going to now start to focus on roster building." You can take a bow. You've done a pretty good job at building the roster for the yeah. last two to three years. Tell me, yeah, a- you built it from the top down. That, that's the thing about it. And look, this D line is so like Ridgeway is a dog. All right, like we we have we have like it's so deep in certain positions that I don't think people gonna see it until they get to play on the big stage, like a playoff. But it's it, like sometimes you don't know because you know. And I've been in this market, and I have been numb to teams that people go say gonna be good because I can look at it and say something wrong with it. This ain't one of those teams. Not on defense, it's not. And there are plenty of playmakers on offense. So there's a couple of of performances I want to ask you about from yesterday. Um, I just, I mean, I've been the biggest Deron Payne fan since day one. I think yesterday may have been one of the best games he has ever played. From that forced fumble on, he and the rest of the defense, don't get me wrong, but he just dominated that game. I think he is, right now, he's elite at his position. And you know what? If you talk to him, his mind frame, I had to talk to him because he loved to fish. He loved to like ride four-wheelers and all that stuff because the country boy stuff we love to do. Right. And he, he ain't been doing none of it. He's been consuming football. I was like, what you do the other day? Football. Like, he just... He he is so he feels so disrespected. I have never seen somebody that just got paid the amount of money he has that feels so disrespected. Like he is dominant. Like I told you, at some points in certain times in games, he takes over the game and dominates. And it will be one of the three, like he did in that one. One, he could go get the sack most of the time. Two, he always in the backfield when it comes to the run. And then he gets his hands up and knock down plays. And I know people don't really take uh, batted balls down by the defensive line. Man, these are the small plays that change his game. Those passes, if you get two, three, four, five of those a game, and that quarterback attempt four, I mean, 40 passes, that's only 35 true attempts you got. People do not understand how big these plays is, and you're right. On the track he's going now, he's going to be dominant. If people don't look off numbers alone and don't judge him because of, you know, we're watching the same old commanders, no, this dude is dominant. All right, tell me, you've, you mentioned him, but just tell me overall, good and bad, Chase yeah. Young's performance yesterday. 
I thought it was a, I thought it was a hungry dog. It hadn't ate for a while. I thought it was very aggressive. I thought he was flying around. I thought it was, if I got to say one one word, it was free. He, he like mentally, he was free. I could tell. Physically, he was free, and he probably ain't feel like that for the first time, body and mind wise. Probably for like two years. Like I seen what we drafted at the number two pick. I seen somebody that coming out there. He another person that the world feel like the world is against. Like we have some guys playing with with with, with some little spikes inside them that get so beneficial for the team in the long run. Like we play, we got some guys fighting for respect. And I, I seen a dude playing the run, the pass, disturbing play, like disturbing pass concepts by the rush and that's what you want to do when you do that you bend the play to your wheel you contract it for me as a db you contract it for the safeties when you do that you make a russell wilson who ain't that tall step up in the pocket force him to meet the house of pain you start to do different things so it ain't always the sacks and the numbers it's about how do you affect the game he affected the game at a high level yesterday and nothing made nothing epitomized yesterday's game more when him and Chase Young stood over Russell Wilson when they met at the same time. That's, that, that's different. That's special. Um, on the offensive side of the ball, you already talked about Eric Bieniemy um, and the game call, and I spent a lot of time talking about that too. I mean, the screens, they just he just had them guessing. Um Brian Robinson Jr. and Gibson. Maybe we did talk about this uh, this running back room being a little bit kind of underrated by at least the national media. Um, just describe Brian Robinson and the game he had and the kind of player he's developing into. Well, he, he's one of those guys, another guy, the underdog, went to Alabama from the city. And he was always the most underrated one out the bunch who did nothing, not pub like Derrick Henry, not 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 one of the, the, the just put out there guys, but it actually made it was a present in disguise because he was actually not used as much as he was. So he came in here with a fresh body. He's bigger than people think. And when when he makes contacts with DBs, he's always leaning forward. Linebackers, D line, it doesn't matter. And the one thing that we did not know until a coach started to put him in space, he can catch Damn good, Professor. He can actually run route very well. And he starts to punish people. He gets better as the game goes on. He runs angry. And that, that, that makes you dangerous. That's weaponizing something. When you run angry like that, that means every time he makes contact, he's getting two to three extra crunt yards that most guys don't get I in that way. So when he starts to pound and ground you and run around you, then you bring in a guy like Antonio Gibson who who, who can really, like, I hope they just don't get down on him because of the fun because, like yesterday, he'll show you what he can do right. in the open space. All I say is, if the guy used to play wide receiver and we turned into a running back, hell, I think we should throw him the ball out of backfield. I'm just saying. So at the end of the day, and then Chris Rodriguez clearly and surprise, likes to get in there, likes to run angry. Underrated group, and I think they just gonna get better. That's why I'm so excited right now. I ain't, I'm more excited over the fact that these guys, I get to watch these guys mature and get better than I am the fact that we're two and zero. Who does Brian? You're usually good at this. Who does Brian Robinson Jr. remind you of? Oh, he re- he reminds me, Arian Foster. I doesn't have the glide. He did, but have you ever seen the statue 
of Arian Foster, how he was built, all right? Doesn't run with the same drive, but runs with the power and has the finesse to catch the ball. And just like Arian Foster, late bloomer, all right? Late bloomer. And that's what you want to see. So mentality is there. So I would say Arian Foster, body type and skill set. It's such a good one because, you know, one of the things I've mentioned about Robinson Jr. doesn't seem to affect him at all is he runs a little bit upright, which is what Arian Foster did. Um, Yes, yes. You know, and by the way, the all-time kind of upright back was Eric Dickerson. Like when you, you know, Mm -hmm. when you watched Eric Dickerson, there was this upright, tall look to the way he ran, but it never stopped him from overpowering at the point of contact. Um, and don't and don't forget Adrian Peterson. I, he was an upright runner that ran with a horse's gallop. He yeah. ran with a gallop, an up-and-down gallop that was very, very powerful and threatening. Right. Uh, what did you make of the decision that Ron Rivera made to kick that field goal from 59 yards out at 21-21? I love it. The one thing about uh, being at Mile High Stadium, the air is thin. The ball, the kickers love it there. It's a kicker's delight. If they can kick 55 somewhere else, they can kick 60 there. And it says, I got faith in my defense. That defense probably was man, caught on fire from that, man. Yeah, I'm telling you, talk to any players, they going to be like, yeah, we told them let's do this. Let's do this, man. We came in here to win the game. That shows confidence in your whole team. Let's get these points. Let's try Let's try to add to the thing. I don't see nothing wrong with it. Did you think it was ill-fitted? No, 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 in fact, what I said was there was a lot of criticism of it. For me, in Denver – it's in, in warm weather, it's about a seven, eight-yard difference. So it's not a 59-yard kick. It's a 51- or 52-yard kick. And the dude apparently mm-hmm. was kicking at 65 yards. Now, the argument, the counter-argument is you've got a, a long snapping problem right now. And you had a yeah. defense that was playing lights out, so if you punt it, you pin him deep. But I, I couldn't kill Ron for that like some people were because – it's twenty-one, twenty-one, and it, it's a you going to pass on a fifty-one or fifty-two-yard field goal because that was the, what it was in Denver is the equivalent. Um, but that yeah, long snapping, uh, yeah. that long snapper problem is a problem right now. No, no, it's a it's a problem that needs to be answered, and I I, I want to know. Like I'm one of them people. If I change something and, and it ain't working, I might need to change it back. Like this is the mindset I am to to what makes you. You mean the style? He changed I, his style, right? Yeah, he he changed his technique. Yeah, he changed his, his technique to get the job done. And and now I, I don't I don't know about you, but I don't remember this problem last year. No, no, he said he changed he it in the off season. He changed his technique yeah. in the off season. Why would you do well, that? Well. I, I, I literally don't know. I'm telling you, if he keep changing techniques, we're going to be changing long snappers. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, I mean, Ron said last week it's a concern to him, but he'll wait until something bad happens to change it. Well, they missed a kick early. Yeah, We can't have this, you know, down 23-21, you know, against Buffalo on Sunday, and Sam drives them 70 yards, and they got a 38-yard field goal chip shot to win it, and the ball gets rolled back. We can't have that. Yeah. Can't have it. That's why the MVP of the season this far has been Tress Way. 
<laughs> he's been great on holding it for sure. He's, he's, he's been terrific. He's already in the Pro Bowl. You ask me. All right, tell me what you think of Buffalo. First, you know, first thoughts on the game on Sunday. Uh, I think you got an uber talented quarterback. We, like I said, he has the curse of being gifted. Uh, well, I'm talking about. But what, do you, the, but, but what you what do you think about Josh Allen? Because I know you're talking about Sam Howell right now. <laughs> and I'm just saying, but he but he's injury prone. I mean, not injury prone. I mean, he's a, a turnover prone because he has the big arm because he's known to sometimes classically throw balls in there too hard, which turn the tip balls that give guys a chance. And now he's playing against a defense that's very optimistic, got some players on the back end, but also really got the front end that has enough players, more than enough players, to irritate him enough to turn the ball over. One thing I have to see and I want to see early, I want them to force them to be one-dimensional. I want them to shut down the run and force them, and I know this sounds crazy, put the ball in Josh Allen's hand. If you do that, the more you do that, the more your chances go up to win. So if they can go in there and shut these guys down, make sure you take Stephon Diggs out of them, tell the other guys, y'all are going man-to-man, we're going to take him out of the game, and we're going to make sure they don't run the ball. I think that gives us the best chance to make some plays. And guess what? We got something that we've been missing here for a long time. We got a, we got a home field advantage. All right, that's worth Three points. All I'm saying, this is a team that's been playing Buffalo year after year after year. They're not new to them. They have a legit chance to win this game and go 3-0. and And like I said before, we have no loss. Since Sam Howe, the young wolf, has taken over the north, <laughs> we have not no loss. We ain't even lost in the preseason. Listen, he's, a, a, he, he, he's untainted and nobody's talking about it. Um, you know, you mentioned something, and I and I talked briefly about it in the open. But you know, James Conner had some creases last week, and Javante Williams, who, by the way, I think has a chance to be a star running back in this league. He is stud. He is stud. Um, he had. They got to the edges on them yesterday, and so mm-hmm. it's not that I'm concerned about their ability to stop the run, but it's just more the consistency of it. And you know, it's Dalvin's younger brother in Buffalo, and he went for over a hundred yesterday. He's pretty good. Yeah, but he's one of those guys, not a uh, running back wise, not built to take on a defensive line like that. He's more of the scat back yeah, type. Yeah, true. So we already we already know they're gonna keep him out of the A and the B gap, forcing him to run to the edges. But this is a Jamin Davis game, a Cody Bartman game. They'll be the guy while washing the dishes right after the, the, the big guys finish with these guys. I don't think they will have no problem taking him out of the game. It's the legs of Josh Allen we have to worry about because he makes it to the point where we can't play two man. He makes it where we can't play certain coverages that we turn our back to him because the coach is going to make sure all 11 of us are looking at the quarterback. So we're going to be forced to play zone. I'm hoping he zone blitzes. So it's a counter to the counter action and that's what we got to see. We got to see the, the, the chess match that's played with the coaching staff because there's the enemy has been the MVP this far. So we got to see the chess match and that so the game gonna be dead in line. Yeah, I mean, look, the next two weeks, uh, you can't turn your back to the quarterback. Uh, Josh Allen, and then Jalen Hurts the week after that. All right, um, mm-hmm. great job. Uh, sorry about Saturday. I mean, Jaden Daniels <laughs> did did Jaden did, did did one ball even hit the ground? From- hey, hey, we need to, <laughs> hey, we hey. 
Professor, we need you to pray for us in Bulldog <laughs> Country right now. It, it looked bad on us. You know, every Sunday, it, it, it's like that for some fan base. And you know, this was ours. We was, we was undefeated at home, mm-hmm. and we thought we was going to do the LSU what we did to Arizona, and it didn't work out, man. And one of those times, we're going to bounce back, and we're going to play Mississippi State football. I um I'm still surprised LSU got waxed the way they did by Florida State because I think that team I think LSU's the real deal I think that by the end of the year that they're going to be back in the hunt even though they lost to Florida State they're good really good hey yeah they they they, they are very very good and the thing about it is you've seen what happened with Florida State with BC with Boston College. I Boston College took them to the wire. So sometimes it's when you play a team, yep. and I think we forget about this with college players. Right. They don't have a preseason. No preseason. Yep, exactly. And I, yeah, and unfortunately, because the season is such a sprint, these games matter so much in the early portion of the season. Yeah. But uh, all right, mm-hmm. uh, that was fun as always. I appreciate it. Anytime. Don't wait so long next time. <laughs> all right. I'll call, I'll call you soon. Fred Smoot, everybody. Right, I'll talk to you later. See ya. Uh, all right, bro. Fred Smoot, everybody. Love having Smoot on. He's always a lot of fun and very insightful. All right. That's it for the day. No time to really do the rest of the NFL. It was a great NFL day yesterday. No time to do college. Although, man, uh, we got to talk about the Colorado game. I'll do that with Tommy tomorrow. I'm sure Tommy will have a lot on Shadur Sanders, who was just sensational uh, at the end of that game. By the way, Colorado, a 20-and-a-half-point underdog at Oregon this week. Uh, I was thrilled that Maryland destroyed Virginia. The old ACC really came out in me on Friday night. They were down 14 nothing and then ran off 42 unanswered. They get Michigan State this week. But I'm going to call it a day, get this thing out. I'll be back tomorrow with Tommy. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.